welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. Last time I talked about the failed campaign by Banner in 1641, which had some initial success to try to disrupt Regensburg, but couldn't besiege the city. Banner died in April, and that created a crisis among the officers, leading to a growing mutiny for the second time. The HRE tried to start negotiations with Sweden for a separate peace, and that caused France to panic and offer better terms and a more stable alliance, solidifying the political front of the two allies, unifying their goals. More specifically, making sure that peace had to be agreed upon by both parties. And with this done, France and Sweden dealt with the growing mutiny, nipping in the bud as they worked towards another offensive. But with that covered, let's get started. A new offense was planned to assist the Gulefs in attacking Wolfenbuttel. The city had been fortified with increased earthworks in preparation for an attack, and there were also tough to crack stone casemates for any sappers, along with a ditch full of water. And lastly, there was a more fortified citadel that they had to take even after they took the rest of the city. So the city was well built to handle the siege at this point. It had run under threat by around 7,000 men of the Gulefs since the fall, but that was not enough to take the town, so Sweden knew assisting the Gulefs would show their willingness to assist their German allies. But the Swedes and the Gulefs decided to dam the Oker, which would cut off the water to the ditch, and that would be finished in June, despite sorties to try to stop it. The plan was to stay entrenched and wait for the water to build up and flood the city. It was a bit crude, but when you lack the number of men to truly take a town, something like this would be enough to break down walls and damage the town, even if it would not exactly get the best loot. And considering the Mongols used redirecting a river into a town as their first major siege in their history, at least under Genghis Khan, using water nature against your enemy isn't a new thing. The Imperials, led by Piccolomedian Archduke Leopold, have been waiting at Elgin to take advantage of the mutiny, which we know was resolved, and they were forced to break from that when they heard of the increasingly worse situation at Wolfenbuttel. So the Imperials gathered 22,000 men and began a quick march to break the siege at the end of June. The Swedes and French both forced marching their own men to reinforce the besiegers. In fact, the Swedes and ex Bernhard troops only arrived about two hours before the Imperial attack, which was just in time. The camp probably could not have taken an attack from the enemy outnumbering them two to one, even with their fortifications. But with these last-minute reinforcements, the Allies were able to gather around 26,000 men. Notable commanders among the Allies were Gubriont and Konigsmark. The Allied force was divided by a small river, leaving two different groups of Swedish and French forces, one positioned on Limburg Hill, which avoided the combat of this battle. The other was to the right of those forces, by Swedish alignment. The battle began on the 20th of June, and the Oker had a large inundation of water, which stopped any attack from the east, and attacking the fortifications made a frontal assault suicidal. Both sides had reasonably compatible numbers, so this wasn't a battle where one side desperately outnumbered the other or anything like that. The Imperials realized they needed to flank the enemy and attack the left flank of the Allied forces through a thick wood, while more force marched to create a diversionary attack. This would hopefully distract Sweden and its allies and let them flank the enemy and rout them, freeing up Wolfenbuttel from their siege. However, the Imperials were delayed on their right flank. The forces under wall ready to go by 9am, but the rest not ready to attack the flank until 12pm. Specifically, the delay was the terrain to get there, not necessarily any sort of preparations. Terrain can be difficult when you want to actually do something speedy on a battlefield. But the Bavarian forces attacked before the rest of the Imperial forces could, so they were drawn into a much more tense battle than they planned for. The woods were intended to be, you know, a faintness against the enemy and not driving hard until the diversion 
attack hit. But the force of the Allies held out better than anyone expected, especially the Old Blue Regiment, which was a legendary unit that had been under command of Benair. They became essential for fighting as Koenigsmark tried to stop being outflanked by the Imperials. But the Bavarians made good ground as they captured a redoubt held by Old Blue, the unit taking heavy casualties. Their cavalry made progress further west, but the Imperials were pushed back by reinforcements from the other camp, specifically the cavalry, as there was a bridge that allowed them to cross behind. The fighting only got more intense as the rest of the Imperials arrived, the woods full of holes, as both sides tried to push back the other. But eventually the Imperials called their retreat by late afternoon, their casualties were around 3,000 men. The Swedes, French, and Gulefs had taken around 2,000 casualties and did not pursue the enemy. A good brunt of the casualties was the Old Blue Regiment, which I mentioned earlier, who had been holding the redoubt that had been taken. There was also disputes and tension between the Allied commanders, and even the Imperials fruitlessly besieged Gottingen to the south. There's no reason to pursue the Imperial forces, and the Imperials didn't rout, so the battle would be a big risk as the Imperials were still in good order. It's not worth necessarily risking a big battle if, if you don't know you can win, or win in a way that doesn't cost you a lot. The siege continued until October 1st, when the dam fell, and the Allies retreated towards... Sarstedt, where they waited for negotiations between August and the Imperials to resolve. August is the Duke of Wolfenbuttel, for your guys' reminder. The overall battle was fairly minor on the war front, neither side really making any real gains, and the casualties had been relatively minor besides the veteran troops, and the upcoming negotiations were more important than any direct result from the battle itself. Duke August had opened negotiations with the Emperor by August 7th at Gosmar, the Duke apologizing for the recent battle. There was a nominal successor of Duke George in a younger kid, but August was much more easy to support, and he had the battle of Friedrich of Lundberg, who was a Gulef duke. August also held no interest in Hildsheim, so he was willing to trade it for getting his capital back, which he had been creating for a long while. It didn't really serve him, so giving it up would get him what he really wanted, which was negotiated by January 16, 1642. This agreement was signed and extended, confirming these changes, and the Gulefs also agreed to send the Peace of Prague, which resolved the issues of Hildsheim and their districts by giving the promise of respecting Lutheran worship for the next 40 years by Ferdinand of Cologne. A formal pardon was granted, and Wolfenbuttel was evacuated by September of 1643. The Gulefs had gotten what they wanted, or at least realized they probably couldn't get what they wanted fully, so they might as well get something. This made it clear they only fought for political gain, and had no interest in long-term alliances with Sweden or France. The Treaty of Gosmar meant that Gulefs effectively became neutral, only maintaining a garrison of a couple thousand troops. This also meant Sweden and France were cut off by the Gulefs, as Lower Saxony was not part of their alliance anymore, and the whole casualties of the battle that were his fault were kind of pointless, and the battle didn't do too much. This blow wasn't as big as it seemed, as the sinking of the mutiny meant any wedges that could have been used were gone. But with the links severed, I mean, geographically linked, not politically. France moved to assist Hessen, while Sweden moved into Silesia to the east. This result really showed that the German allies of Sweden and France could leave their sphere, as they didn't necessarily have the same agreement as France and Sweden had to sign on the same terms, but each German ally had their own objectives they initially wanted to fulfill, which may not be the same as the Sweden and France. This meant that Sweden and France would have to keep an eye on those allies in case any of them tried to defect again. Brandenburg defecting to the Sweden, or at least staying neutral, undermined the gains of the Imperials, and the Imperial states were becoming restless. This pushed Ferdinand to establish two areas to start peace negotiations with France and Sweden, the Emperor knowing he had to make both of them happy to hammer out any long-term peace, with a preliminary meeting on Christmas at Hamburg in 1641. Peace at Christmas is, I don't know if they intended to do that or not, but it's just really funny if they did. There would be two locations, with France at Munster and Sweden at Osnabrück, the Catholics and Protestants respectively being at different places. 
I can't see why they need to negotiate separately, but I guess due to religious tensions or whatever, they were negotiating separate places. Granted, I also assume they were keeping each other well-informed, or at the very least, maybe have a representative at each place, just act as an observer. These places would be considered neutral, and would keep negotiations going even as the war raged around them. No truce had been signed, and even to approach that, each side would have to accept their military position, which was not what either side was in the mindset for. Again, going back to my previous stuff, everyone's waiting for their position to be better to negotiate. Nothing solid would come out of these negotiations at the moment, but the idea showed that Ferdinand differed from his father due to having actual long-term negotiations instead of not really wanting to do that. This also showed that Ferdinand was willing, Ferdinand III that is, was willing to negotiate with both France and Sweden instead of trying to just push Sweden or one faction to do the peace. There was certainly risk of pissing off and breaking the agreement with Spain, but it was worth the chance that a potential peace could be gained from this negotiation with Sweden and France. Though, it's pretty obvious. It would take a long while before any peace could be established as we are in 1642 and we have at least six more years to go. Well, not at least, we have six more years to go. But we have plenty more battles to come, and more decisive ones at that, but we're at the end of this episode, and next week I'll cover the Battle of Kempen. I want to thank you all for listening, and the social media links will be in the description box, or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder that I have a Patreon, and thank those who support me, interview and spread the word. Just as a reminder, I am not going to be pushing out an episode in two weeks. It'll probably be three, or at least into the next year, as Christmas is coming up, so happy early Christmas, or happy holidays to all of you who are listening to my podcast and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>